1: And welcome to another edition of the Weekend Warrior Show. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Clapper. I'm an orthopedic surgeon at Cedar sinai for 32 years. Wow! What a busy week I had this week. Seeing patients from all over the world. And then surgery. My love affair with how the body works. Just when you think you got it all figured out, you see something brand new, and that happens 10, 15 times every week for 32 years. Today's topic is so exciting. My guest, I can't wait to talk to him, is calling in at 8.15, Vince Perillo. He's an expert in putting gutters on a roof, and with the rain... That's already happened and the rain that's coming, thank God. It's a fascinating thing to be able to work with the water that's building up and get it off your roof properly. I remember working with my father, the carpenter, as a kid. He would put roofs on and he was always fascinated by how gutters, leaders, and gutters work, sheet metal, bent. To be able to get the water off the roof. But here's what's fascinating gravity. It's the most terrific machine that's invisible. And yet, if you can control it, you're really onto something. Because when they put gutters on your roof, they're calculating how to get the water to flow. All you need is just a slight decline and the water will go where you want it to go. But if you're level or you're going up, that's difficult. The water will fight back. And this is all invisible. It's a fascinating subject of how to use an invisible energy, gravity, and people who master it They own the world. So it made me think all week. You know how much I love the world of art, the world of sports, and the world of surgery. Where do I see expertise like Vince Perillo in harnessing this invisible force? And you'll say, what are you talking about? Well, this week, one of the surgeries I did was on someone's shoulder where I arthroscoped it, this fiber optic tool, but to look into your shoulder, your knee, your hip, any joint that we arthroscope, we inflate it with sterile salt water, and most of the young orthopedic surgeons out there are trained by using a pump. Well, guess what happens with that damn pump in the operating room? The something always backfires. The pump's not working. The nurses will tell you. They hate that damn thing. It's great because it inflates the joint, but there's always trouble with it. Except in my operating room. You know why? Because I don't use a pump. I use gravity. I make the nurses take those bags of sterile salt water and put them as high as they can go on these racks that we have. In the operating room so if the bags are high up close to the ceiling then you open up those bags through the IV tubing that you're gonna now use to fill up someone's shoulder or knee or hip I learned a long time ago how to do the surgery with gravity so I never have a problem with a pump because I don't use a pump learning how to use it is awesome where in the world of sports would I even think to look at someone who mastered the use of gravity? Well, for me, golf. Because when you sit down to putt that ball into the cup, you've got to figure out the slope of the green. There's no machine on that golf ball. You've got to hit it, and it's got to flow. And the best of the best in my lifetime, was someone named Ben Crenshaw, and you're going to hear in a minute, him take you through what it's like to use gravity and the slope of the green, the hardness of the green, which, by the way, the golf course designers are thinking about how much gravel and thick dirt to put underneath that grass and how to make optical illusions where it looks like, oh, my God, you've got to hit it hard up a hill when, in fact, you're going down a hill because the overall golf course is next to water and golfers know one thing, if you're punting on the green and there's water, whether it's a lake, a river, or an ocean, that ball is going to go towards the water. You're going to hear Ben Crenshaw talk about how he, in his world, uses gravity. It's fascinating. And what about in art? New York City gets its fresh water from upstate New York. Literally, they use gravity to have that flow, come from the north of New York into Manhattan. Walk around those buildings in Manhattan. What do you see on top of every apartment building, even in 2021? You'll see a water tower. Yeah, they'll use electricity and a machine to pump the water to the roof of that 20-story building. But that's it. They then store the water on top of every roof of every apartment building in New York City, in Manhattan. They hold it up there so they can then use gravity to supply every single apartment and office. It's awesome. Well, the people who actually mastered it, the artists that really made a science out of it, were the Romans. Because 2,000 years ago, if you lived in a village on top of a hill, a mountain, and there's no lake up there, how are you going to get water up there? The Romans figured it out. That water seeks its own level. What does that mean? That even if it's 50 miles away, if there was a lake on top of a mountain, you could use that lake to feed other mountaintops, but they had to be as high as where that lake was. So they made those aqueducts go through the valley, and just gravity alone, at the bottom of that valley, the water pressure was 20 times the force of gravity. It would break the pipes, and that's why the Romans went from clay pipes to lead pipes, which ultimately killed them from lead poisoning. But they got pressure, water pressure, without a machine, without a pump, 20 times the force of gravity so they can pump up the hill. You're going to hear about that in a minute as well. And where in food? This was was so much fun to think all week. Where do I see gravity in food? Uh, It's a cinnamon bun. A cinnamon bun? Yeah, where's the best cinnamon bun in L.A.? Because they not only make the bun, but then they got to smear that icing on top, and if you do it right, that icing gets into every nook and crevice of the cinnamon bun and makes just a good cinnamon bun into a great cinnamon bun when you know how to use gravity. My mouth is watering already, and I'm going to tell you where. Two places that blew my mind this week with cinnamon buns. And ClapperVision, we're going to talk about Ryan Fitzpatrick. We're also going to talk about Paige Buchers from the University of Connecticut. But Ryan Fitzpatrick is out for the season because he needs hip surgery. Because he subluxed his hip, tore his labrum, and I'll explain exactly what that is. And the clappervision will be those hockey players on the ice crashing into the glass boards and separating it from the wood. Doesn't make sense to you right now, but that'll be the clap vision to explain what a hip be and a labor repair is, and we'll get into it. But right now, I want to talk to you about gravity. To set the tone, here's a song about it. Gravity is working against me. The great John Mayer. And gravity. How to control that invisible force, and use it. Just think about it. It's invisible. How do you harness something that's invisible? Ah, that's the key. Let's listen to how the Romans figured this out.
3: The city of New York pumps most of its water from the Catskill Mountains using gravity and hydrostatic pressure. But how did the ancients do it? Well, actually, they did exactly the same. The first aqueducts were built by the Minoans 4,000 years ago. But it was the Romans who brought the system to perfection. This aqueduct in Istanbul was probably built by the Emperor Valens in the 4th century AD. And it's 140 miles
1: long. Can you imagine? There's an aqueduct built 2,000 years ago that's 140 miles long, and it's still there in Istanbul, built by the Romans.
3: Now, you might think there's nothing particularly high-tech about these massive stone structures, but they are, in fact, incredibly precise feats of engineering. The descent has to be exactly right, not too steep and not too shallow. The engineers who built this had to achieve a drop of only 52 feet for every mile the
1: water traveled. It needs to flow. If it flows too fast, you flood. If it flows too slow, it backs up. These are the guys that invented geometry. They understand slope, pitch. It's got to be a decline of just a small amount. It's awesome what they did 2,000 years ago, and they still exist. If you go to Europe, you'll see these Roman, ancient Roman
3: aqueducts. Here in Pergamon, the engineers had to be even more inventive. They had to find a way of making water flow uphill. You see, the problem with Pergamon is that it's a 1,000 feet higher than its nearest source of water. Mm. However, what the engineers of Pergamon knew was that water will always find its own level. So here's an experiment to demonstrate that. Whoop, That's a few air bubbles, have to jiggle it around a bit. And then it eventually finds its own level.
1: What he's taking out is a tube, a glass tube, and bends it. He's not bending it. It already comes that way, like the letter U. It's a hollow glass tube looks like the letter U with both ends that are open. You pour water into one end, and you'll watch the water go down the tube, at the bottom of the tube, and believe it or not, go up the other side. Water seeks its own level. So instead of the two ends of a glass tube, imagine Pergamon, a thousand feet high, is where you want the water to end up. You just need to find a lake that's at the same height and run that aqueduct into the ground even, into the valley, and it'll come back up without machinery. You're using an invisible force. It's
3: fascinating. So all they had to do was find a source of water the same height as the city. And they found it in those mountains over there, 16 miles away. Beyond the Japanese tourists. They piped the water down the mountain through 27 miles of tunnels, canals, and aqueducts. Mm. By the time the water reached the lowest point, the pressure behind it was 20 times the force of gravity, and that pushed the water uphill. In fact, the pressure was so great that clay pipes would have burst. So they made the pipes in this last section of lead. These systems supplied the entire city. Every home on this dry mountaintop had running water, complete with taps,
1: 2,000 years ago. And believe it or not, when we talk to Vince Perillo, that's going to be the question I have. How do you actually line it up so that the gutter on your roof works? In the operating room, I got to make sure those bags of sterile saline that I'll need to arthroscope your knee, your shoulder, your hip, your ankle is high enough because when you go high, you benefit from that gravity. You don't need a machine. You don't need a pump. Here's some numbers that will blow your mind about the Romans. This is 2,000 years ago. How much water were they pumping with gravity and no machine? How much water came into the city of Rome? We have some estimates. We have
0: some statistics from Frontinus, but we don't understand always what the measurement system was that he's referring to. So what we can estimate, what well we do have the various scholars that have looked at the material, suggests up to 1 million cubic meters of water float into Rome at its height when you have 11 aqueducts working. What is that in gallons? That's over 264 million gallons of water
1: coming into the city of Rome daily. Without water, there is no life. Using gravity an invisible force, learning how to work with it is the secret to success in art, in surgery. And you're about to hear a master of using this invisible force in sports. His name is Ben Crenshaw. And when his ball got on the green, nobody could putt it better than him. But you're going to hear the science behind it as well. Coming up next here on the Weekend Warrior Show, the number is 877-710-ESPN because I definitely want to take you into the operating room with me. And I want you to understand what's known as a loose body. What does that mean? Well this week I had to remove one that was stuck in the synovium of someone's shoulder. Why does it occur? I'll explain what a loose body is as it relates to our topic today of gravity. The number is 877710 ESPN you're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN.
2: Weekend Warriors on Facebook. Didn't you get the memo? Quickly here clappers crazy Kitchen stories. Easily find different collars, aches, and pain issues.
4: Right,
5: I get
2: it. Search "Weekend Warrior" in the search bar and click on Doc's picture. Who are you again? Voila! Oh. Like, follow, and enjoy the Weekend Warrior Facebook page.
0: Hey, it's John Ireland. You know there is no better way to start your Saturday
1: than with the man who replaced Michael Thompson's hip. Dr. Clapper and the Weekend Warrior Show, 7 to 9 a.m. Saturday mornings. Don't miss my show, Mason and Ireland, back Monday at 1, all here on 710 ESPN.
4: What's going on LA, this is Kobe Bryant The best entertainer, forget going to the movies Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper
1: So the Clapper was looking at the flapper, can you imagine how cool that was?
4: Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers
1: Gravity
5: Is working against me
1: Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. That's what I want to talk about, that invisible force of gravity that John Mayer's singing about here. How can you harness that force in art, in sports, in surgery? And with the rain this week, you realize you got to use gutters to get that water where you want it to be, off the roof. It's fascinating to me. And it was a... Subject that I used to talk a lot about with my dad, the carpenter. As a little kid, I remember carrying 80-pound sacks. He taught me how to throw them over my shoulder. I never went to the gym. We couldn't afford to go to a gym. My whole life, I never remember the word vacation. Never took a vacation. Worked hard. But he loved his work. And he taught me how to swing an 80-pound pack of shingles up a ladder, up to the roof. Now they have these conveyor belts. Not in the old days. And in the old days, you had a belt, a tool belt, and your hammer hung off the side like a pistol in a holster. 80-pound sack of shingles climbing up that roof. My dad was strong, country strong. But I learned all about roof and how to shingle those roofs and fit them, layer them. But he loved gutters and leaders and used to be amazed at the perfection of getting the slope just right so that the invisible force of gravity worked properly. It was, a, it was a great topic for me to think about all week, and I thought about it in sports. Who, who's lining up gravity? Well, when Ben Crenshaw or any golfer, and many of you listening are golfers, Trust me, that ball of yours is going to roll for all kinds of reasons. How hard do you hit it? Your backswing.
4: What's going on, L.A.? The it's grain of the
1: grass. There's a lot of things, the firmness. But in the end, you're dealing with gravity. So listen to Ben Crenshaw, the greatest putter in my lifetime. Talk about how he's used He's not going to say the word gravity. I'm telling you the word gravity. But listen to the science in his head that all goes into using that invisible force.
5: Reading greens is not the easiest thing to do. Even a Seve Ballesteros will occasionally misread a putt. But even if you only play on weekends, you can develop the basic skills for reading putts. Study the green carefully. Determine your speed first because that in turn determines your line. My Pro-Am partners will often ask, Ben, how much is this putt going to break? And my response is always, how hard are you going to hit it? So when lining up your putts, always think speed first.
1: Yeah, but the speed makes a difference, Ben Crenshaw, of how hard you hit it. But how firm is the green? What's the grain of the grass? This is just listen to him talk about these things. He's not going to use the word gravity, but believe me, that's the elephant that's in the room.
5: First and foremost, always be alert. When walking up to the green, take note of your surroundings. If there's a body of water nearby, your putt will generally break towards the water. Green. If the green is elevated, it will generally drain well, making it firm and fast. If the green is set in a depression, the reverse is true. If you play on Bermuda greens, you must determine which way the grain is running. Going with the grain, your putt is likely to be faster than it is when you're putting against it.
1: Now, grass is like a tree. When the sun is shining... You get a shadow. So behind the tree is that dark shadow. The sun shining on the tree, you'll see the reflection of the sun on a tree. Well, that's what he's gonna talk to you about right now, about grass. How do you tell which way the grass is bent, the grain of the grass?
5: How can you tell which way the grain is running? Well, if the grass between your ball and the hole is shiny, you're probably putting with the grain. the grass is dark you're probably putting against it as you walk around the green you can feel the firmness of the surface with your spikes and this should tell you a lot about the speed of the putt
1: you believe this he's telling you when you walk on the green feel the bottom of your feet that will tell you the firmness i was in the operating room yesterday and i'm teaching and i'm teaching the young surgeon i could tell already in this knee replacement How taut this person's ligaments are. Forget about the arthritis that I'm taking uh, care of. By using the scalpel and feeling the skin, the epidermis, and the dermis, I'm already getting a clue. If you're paying attention, remember what Dr. Ranawatt taught me, the eyes don't see what the mind doesn't know. You pay attention, and I know how stiff this person's ligaments are going to be, which will make the difference between a good surgery and a great surgery outcome. Ben Crenshaw is telling you, pay attention to how your feet feel the firmness of the grass. Living in the moment. Being aware of your surroundings. This is why I bless every day. I'm a surfer, because you learn your surroundings when you surf.
5: And pay attention to your playing partners. Now study your own putt from in front and from behind. Your job is to accurately determine the slope of the green and how it will affect your putt. So get down and low. You'll get a much clearer picture of the slope if you look at it from a variety of angles. And I always play the high side. That is to make sure I play enough break. As I stand over the putt, I try to visualize the entire path the ball will take from the time it leaves my putter until it drops into the
1: hole. Two words he used there, break and slope. That equals gravity. That invisible force that responds to break and slope. Same thing Vince is going to tell us about how to put a gutter on a roof. The same way those Romans thousands of years ago built those aqueducts.
5: Now I find that most golfers are too line conscious. And they think of the line as a quarter inch track from the ball to the hole. But don't forget that your ball can fall in from anywhere around the cut. So your line isn't a line at all; it's a lane that's as wide as the cut. If you get your ball rolling down that lane at the right speed, you're going to make some putts.
1: It's a lane, not a line. I versus A, and that is what a gutter is. The gutter is a channel. Can you imagine how much easier it is to putt a golf ball accurately if I now tell you it's wider than you think. The lane, not the line. That's what's awesome about what you can tell your brain, what Kobe Bryant used to tell his brain. The two basketballs could fit into the bucket. It's true. Dave Miller taught me that. Us amateurs, weekend warriors, we think the basketball just fits in the hoop with one. That actually, God bless Dave Miller, nope, Clapper, two basketballs can actually. If you know that, mentally it becomes easier to shoot that basket
5: how hard should you hit your putts on fast greens like those here at tucson national i want to hit the ball just hard enough that it dies into the cup on slower greens i can afford to be a lot more aggressive so i'll hit the ball with sufficient speed for it to roll a few inches past the cup finally don't be afraid to trust your own judgment indecision results in missed putts after you've made up your mind Give it your best stroke and don't look back.
1: Now I just want you to hear what it's like on the other end. Who actually is designing the course? Not just playing on it, how they're thinking about gravity. This is from the USGA. From
2: Tita Green... Science, technology, engineering and math will always factor into course setup at the U.S. Open Championships to assure the course presents a complete and fair test for the world's best golfer.
1: So listen to some of the science behind how they build these putting greens.
2: A firm golf course requires players to contemplate what the golf ball will do when it lands. This is especially true with firm putting greens which are less receptive to approach shots and make putting more of a challenge because of their speed. To measure the firmness of a putting green, agronomists and golf course superintendents use a device developed by the USGA called the True Firm. Listen to this.
0: It's essentially an instrumented hammer. We drop a hammer from a set height every time, and when it hits the turf, it does so with the momentum and energy that are approximately like a golf ball.
2: The sensors on the hammer measure how much the turf is indented. For example, A very firm green might leave an indentation of two-tenths of an inch while a softer green might be three-fourths of an inch. This data lets the golf course superintendent know if more or less irrigation is needed on the playing surface. What makes it firm is water,
1: whether they use pebbles underneath, hard dirt, sand. This is all that goes into what makes it firm.
2: In addition to firmness, the USGA closely monitors the speed of the putting greens using a device called the stint meter. It allows the ball to be released onto the turf at a fixed speed. The farther the ball rolls, the less friction the turf has, and the faster the green speed is. At U.S. Open Championships, some greens are so fast that the ball rolls up to 13 or 14 feet. Tiger Woods at Stanford, when he was in college, used to practice putting
1: on the gymnasium floor because that's how fast these putting greens are
2: on some of these courses. Flags marking the potential hole locations are placed in the green and then a digital level is used to measure the percentage of slope or angle of incline of each location. Both the speed and slope of the green are taken into account on each hole. The green should be challenging but fair, so the USGA tests the green's characteristics to ensure a slope is not too severe for a given speed. The slower the
5: green, you could have a little bit more percentage slope. If we're in the 13.5 feet in green
1: speed, at the U.S. Open level, we can be in the 3% range on the percentage slope. So the same green, depending on the time of day, the weather conditions can actually change how the golfers do on that course. That's how much this invisible force of gravity plays a role in golf.
2: Hole locations combined with distance and a number of other factors will decide how difficult a given hole will play. During the 2013 U.S. Open, the par 3 ninth hole at Marion had an average score of 3.2 in the first round and was ranked the 10th most difficult hole on the course. Uh During the second round with a new hole location, the ninth hole's average score increased to 3.6 and ranked as the second most difficult hole on the course. It just changed where the cup was,
1: which meant the slope of the green was now different, harder. And the scores went up because those golfers did not do what Ben Crenshaw did, which was try to figure out slope, break. That's gravity. That's that invisible force of what happens to the golf ball once you hit it. It's fascinating in art, in sports, in surgery. It's time to take your calls. The clinic will be open. The number is 877 espn You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN.
0: Sedano. You know there's
4: no better way to start your Saturday than when my guy, Dr. Clapper, and the Weekend Warrior Show, 7 to 9 a.m., Saturday mornings. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. With tinted windows. Can you imagine? Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper.
1: While I'm in Italy.
4: Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome
1: back, Weekend Warriors. Tom Petty. Yeah, we're free-falling because of the force of gravity. That's the topic today, that invisible force. And if you look for it in your world of art, sports, surgery, and no matter what you do for a living, you harness it, you're a better person for it, that's for sure. All right, the number's 877 espn The line's lit up. Let's go to David. In Van Nuys, you're on with Dr. Clapper. How can I help? Hi, good morning, doctor. Thanks for taking my call. My Uh, pleasure, David. How young are you? What do you do for a living? I'm uh, 36 years old, and uh, I'm a uh, security specialist. Nice. So uh, do you listen to the show? You know what Clapper Vision is? I do. So they're going to actually have an Academy Awards for radio called the Mandy Awards. And guess what, David? I've been nominated in four of the categories. How do you like that? So I want you to do me a favor when we hang up, David. 710awards.net. Go vote for Dr. Clapper. This would be awesome if I actually... Being nominated is the coolest thing in the world. But to have the Weekend Warriors vote for me as a host would be awesome. It's going to be... The show's going to be in February but we might as well get the old, the votes in right now. So think about that. And how can I help you, young man? What uh, did you do? Absolutely, sir.
0: I have a quick question. So my uh, right knee has been giving me issues, and uh, I've had x-rays done, and uh, x-rays uh, come out clean. Mm-hmm. Um, I've gone to uh, physical therapy, and uh, that hasn't helped. And, um, you know, I was talking to a coworker of mine, and he had the same symptoms, and he said, hey, most likely, you know, you're going to need an MRI to figure it out because mm-hmm. your meniscus is most likely damaged and you're going to need surgery. Yep. So I kind of wanted to get your advice on that as far as the surgery for a meniscus. I mean, is this something that I should look into deeply or is there any other treatments before surgery? I um, wanted to get your advice on that.
1: Well, we live in a broken medical system, David, and I have to live in it every, each and every day, and it gets more and more broken all the time. Because unfortunately, money is now involved, and the big mafia insurance companies make it very difficult because they don't want to spend any money, even though they want you to spend money every month to pay for the premiums. So here's the deal: you have to do the right thing. So in order, in your firm, in your line of work, security, right? You, the first thing you're going to say is this dark alley, this this parking lot that doesn't have lights is actually a problem. What are you going to say? We need to get lights. As simple as that. The alley needs to be lit up. The parking lot needs to be lit up so that, so that bad guys can't hide there, right? I mean, that's the first thing you're going to want to do. To me, that's the same simplicity that needs to go on. How can they have the chutzpah, that's a medical term, it's Cedars, the chutzpah, David, to suggest that you go to physical therapy because your knee hurts because they took an x-ray which only shows the bone. It doesn't show. Your friend is right. It doesn't show ligaments. It doesn't show the meniscus. And yet they're going to tell you, go for treatment. What's your diagnosis? Well, we think it's, it's most likely your meniscus. Are you kidding? Well, you need to shed some light onto actually what is up with your meniscus. And no, not every meniscus tear needs an operation. That's ridiculous. And there's a book I wrote with Lindy Uwey called Heal Your Knees. You should get a copy, David. It's Christmas. We give the money to the the homeless. This book will teach you that when you finally do get the MRI from these guys, you'll say, what kind of tear? Is it a vertical tear? Is it a horizontal tear? Is it an oblique tear? Where is the location of the tear? Is the tear in, in the periphery, the red, red zone where they can heal nicely on their own? Or is it in the white, white zone? This doesn't make sense right now, but this is a description of the location of the tear and the kind of tear, which is huge. And the reality is, is you're 36 years old. You're young. If I see a 56-year-old with the same meniscus tear that you have, David, let's assume you have one, I'm going to tell the 56-year-old to leave it alone. Because if you let the surgeon remove the meniscus, then you now will faster get arthritis. But in a 36-year-old, it's still a rubbery structure, and you need to do your best to either repair it or do your best to avoid surgery altogether. So my first question to you, David, is can you fully straighten your knee and can you fully bend your knee? Yes, I can do both. So the troublemakers are patients who come to me, and the troublemaker is the meniscus, not the patient. The troublemaker meniscus tear is when people come to me where they can't fully straighten their knee. It's a locked knee. That means it's called a bucket handle tear. What does that mean? That means the rip in the meniscus is so bad the piece has flipped up and it becomes literally like a doorstop stuck in your knee. Okay, you ain't going to therapy if you come to see me with a locked knee. You're going to still get an MRI because I still would like to see what the anatomy looks like. But I'm not letting these bums tell me, oh, no, he doesn't need an MRI. Make it, make him go to therapy first. They just want to stall. Information empowers us, David. And that is what an MRI is. You do not need dye injected. A lot of doctors like to do that. I have, in 32 years, and 16,000 surgeries, never asked for anybody to have dye injected into their joint. It's painful, and I believe it's unnecessary. And I also think the dye may actually hide some of the synovitis or inflammation that you can see if you don't have the dye. So I actually prefer the studies without dye. Um, so you will have less pain and it's easier for you to do. But yeah, that's what you need first. Then once you have the MRI, you're more than uh, welcome to call this show on a Saturday and I will translate the findings uh, for you with some clapper vision. But once you know what's causing your knee pain, then you know how to treat it. And the, the, the physical therapy approach is what kind of range of motion, what kind of strengthening, what modalities to use, ultrasound, electrical stimulation, all the beautiful things that a physical therapist can do. But you're basically handcuffing them if you don't give them the information of what your diagnosis is. You can't just say knee pain, go to therapy. But unfortunately, you're right, David. That's exactly the rabbit hole that you're stuck in now. Oh, we did an x-ray. We looked to see if he has cancer. Okay, thank you. It's nice to know you don't have cancer, that the x-ray is negative, but it doesn't tell you what's going on inside your knee because the meniscus and ligament are invisible, just like gravity is invisible, which is today's topic, by the way. But you want to be able to see it. You can't take an MRI to see gravity, but you can take an MRI to see your meniscus and your ligament. So that is your next step to do. All right, David? Okay,
0: thank you, sir. I really appreciate it, and uh, we'll be in touch with you after
1: my, uh, my MRI. It'll be my pleasure. And listen, you're a total stranger to me, David. I need you to find a total stranger today. Do something nice for them. That's how you'll be thanking me, all right?
0: Thank you, sir. Have right, a God, hostile
1: holiday. Okay, you too. God bless you, David, and thanks for listening. All right, we'll take a break. We'll come back. Where do you see gravity in the world of food? And what exactly is a loose body inside a joint? Something I had to remove this week, but it was not floating in the joint. What happened to it that I couldn't see it right away? I'll explain. The number is 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN.
2: Weekend Warriors on Facebook. Didn't you get the memo? Quickly here, Clapper's crazy kitchen stories. Easily find different colors, aches, and pain issues.
5: Right, I get it.
2: Search Weekend Warrior in the search bar and click on Doc's picture. Who are you again? Voila. Whoa. Like, follow, and enjoy the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. What's going on? It's Max. You know, there's no better way to start your Saturday morning than with my friend, Dr. Clapper. And the Weekend Warrior Show.
4: What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. Start your weekend off right. Listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. The most gifted physical specimen I've ever seen. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN. 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers.
1: Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. Dirty water. The Standells. I'm a little nervous about what kind of water I'll be surfing in tomorrow. Because it did rain. But I'm just too hooked. I'm too addicted. I will be there. This morning I got up to come do this show. Looked at the temperature in the car. 42 degrees! Last Sunday it was 42 degrees when I... (laughs) got out of my truck, and had to become naked in my wetsuit to get into that ocean. It's cold, but it's so worth it. And speaking of that invisible force of gravity, which is today's topic, I paddled out into the ocean last Sunday with my friend Ed. And it's just awesome to deal with the things in life that are invisible, like gravity. When someone that you're with can see things that no one else can see, it's awesome. And some people have a gift, and Ed has a gift. He can tell when the wave is going to come. There I am, a Jewish guy from New York sitting on my surfboard looking at the horizon. And it's dark the Sun has its almost first light it's almost dawn and you look to see if there's a bump on the horizon I don't see anything but it's just so much fun to sit in that ocean freezing with my friend Ed because all of a sudden he'll say okay Doc here it comes and I'm like looking like what are you talking about but I bet I know now to pay attention after all these years and I turn that board and I face the shoreline all right doc here it comes and I start paddling and I paddle as hard as I can spray of water in my face the board starts moving cutting through the water can't really see very well because it's too dark Paddle, paddle, paddle. But he told me it's coming. He could see stuff I can't see. And all of a sudden, I feel it. Just like Ben Crenshaw said, you can feel the firmness of that green when you walk with your spikes on the green and know how hard to hit your putt. I could feel the energy starting to wrap around the tail of the board where my feet are. And it all of a sudden tells me you're locked into the ocean right now, whatever energy it is in that wave. And I stop paddling. And I quickly stand up. And I am on top of the wave. You feel that energy. You're locked into it. First thing I do, set my feet, look down the line of the wave, and come down the face of that wave. Trying to stay right in front of the breaking wave. That's where the energy is maximum. And then I have a decision to make. Do I go to the bottom of the wave and turn and come back up again? Or do I stay up high on the wave and ride it like a motorcycle? Because it'll crash on me otherwise. It's just a joy. And it's freezing. The water's spraying in the face. It's ice cold. the invigoration, sometimes I just can't help myself but to scream. The wave is over, you're soaking wet, you jump back up on the board, and you go do it all over again. (laughs) And now they have all these fancy contraptions. All my friends, they have these Garmin watches. I don't even know what this is, but apparently if you wear this watch, it's like a Fitbit. It tells you how many seconds you're on the wave, the speed you're on the wave, how many waves you caught. And if you hook this thing up to the surf line camera that they have on the beach, you can actually use that camera and watch yourself riding the wave on the video. Can you imagine? What's wrong with just having a good memory in your head? No, now everything has to be documented. I am just going to fight to the bitter end. Fight the robots, fight the lasers, the computers. I still want the world where there's a hammer and a nail. That's why I still sculpt in marble, just like the Romans did thousands of years ago. The simplicity in life is what really attracts me. There's a, in surgery as well, I use very few instruments. The student yesterday watching me said, Dr. Clapper, all the other surgeons, they have like, Four and five tables filled with tools. You have one table with like three tools on it. Yeah. Because I can see and feel how to balance things, how to make your kneecap track properly when I do the knee surgery. I don't need the tools to dictate to me. I'm going to dictate what I want it to be, not what the tools say it should be. You have to be a master over your own tools. mm But it is fun. It's all fun. The surfing. The surgery. The sculpting. The writing books. The radio. But you know what the most fun is? The food. Where is gravity in foods? Think about it. When you make that cinnamon bun, it's delicious. You roll the sugar and the cinnamon in the dough and you bake it. It becomes brown. It's delicious. But gravity and Think about it. The dough rises. It goes against gravity. You put it in the oven, it heats up, it gets bigger. It defies gravity when you heat it. But when you put that powdered sugar liquefied into that icing with butter on top of that hot cinnamon bun, gravity brings all that icing into every spot. So there's two places in Los Angeles that I think make the best cinnamon buns. And later in the show, I'm going to tell you exactly where you can get them. But for now, I want to explain what happened to Ryan Fitzpatrick, the quarterback for the Washington football team. He was tackled, and the ball and socket joint of his hip subluxed. What does that mean? That means the ball didn't pop out of the socket. It means the ball went to the edge It's a golf ball not falling off the tee, but that golf ball riding to the edge of the tee and then went back into place. But in that process, it ripped the cartilage-containing O-ring, better known as the labrum. In order for you to sublux your hip, you've got to tear your labrum. That's the only way it'll pop out. So when it goes back into place, it's seated. But now you can feel it as a human being, as a player, that it's unstable. It feels loose. It causes swelling and it causes pain. You can try to get it to heal on its own, which you certainly should try and do. But when that fails, then you need to repair it with stitches. Beautiful stitches. Special stitches. Anchored into the bone. My favorite company, Orthrex makes the greatest stitches that we can put. They're made of a special material called fiber wire. I just love that name. They're not the stitches that you can just rip with your hands. These things are not going to break. And the way they're put into the bone, you drill a small little hole in the bone and you wrap like a lasso, just like you see those cowboys in the rodeos taking that <clears throat> that, that rope this is a Jewish guy, by the way, telling you about rodeos. Can you imagine? <laughs> but anyway, I watch TV like you can watch TV. You watch those guys on the horse and they're trying to throw that rope around the bull. And then they pull on that rope and it locks like a hangman's noose. It locks the rope, that circle, that loop that wraps around that animal and you can pull on it. Well, that's exactly what we do with sutures, with stitches. We do it just like a cowboy. We wrap it around that labrum. We've drilled a hole in the bone, and we literally place that lasso into the bone. It bleeds, and then the body scars it where you want it to scar it because the suture holds it in place. And that's the surgery Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to have on his hip. He'll be back next season, and I love watching that guy play. His nickname is Fitzmagic because everybody counts him out. He went to Harvard. He's too smart. He's too this. Meantime, that guy will win you a football game. He's not a starting quarterback, but he is the best quarterback to come off the bench. He will save your season. So Ryan Fitzpatrick subluxed his hip, tore his labrum. But that's the Clapper vision for you to understand why he'll be off this season and he'll be back next season. In the next hour, I want to talk with Clappervision about another fascinating injury in sports, and that's to the greatest girl basketball player that I've ever seen, Paige Buchers. She plays for UConn. She, nobody hit her. She didn't fall, but she fractured her tibia, her shin bone. She's going to be out six to eight weeks. Look, they just lost to Georgia Tech. UConn is not going to win the championship this year, not with their star, Paige Buchers. Thankfully, she doesn't need surgery. But why do we see so many fractures in a sport that's not about collisions? Right? You can understand fractures in football because they're banging into each other at 90 miles an hour. But why do we see so many fractures? I mean, I could run through the list. Kevin Durant, broken foot. Pau Gasol, broken foot. Michael Jordan, broken foot. Joel Embiid, broken foot. Through the history of basketball, and still to this day, Blake Griffin, patella fracture. It seems like every basketball player at some point will tell you, yep, I had a broken foot, I had a broken knee. Something happened to them. Why do they get fractures? And it's not a collision sport. It's a fascinating answer because it takes medicine to its core. I'm going to explain why, but I'll give you a hint. It has everything to do with the fact that if you're a really good basketball player playing in the park in your neighborhood, outdoors, you then get noticed. And what do they do? They invite you to be in the AAU League or some other league and they take you from playing outside in the park to indoors. That is the reason, and this has been studied, what happens when you take an athlete who's in junior high school or younger, who's playing the sport outside and you bring them indoors. That is actually the secret And it relates to a very powerful thing in medicine in how your bones are actually made. What does sunlight have to do with how your bones are made? And why would it soften your bones if you go inside? That's what I'm going to explain to you in the next hour. Because that's why you can fracture your tibia without contact. Be out 6 to 8 weeks to get it to heal. But it is not uncommon, unfortunately, in basketball. And it has to do with going from outside to playing in the indoor gym. I'll explain that. And I'll also tell you, because my mouth is watering, where the best cinnamon bun is in L.A. And I'm going to give you two choices, one on the west side and one in Ventura. Mm, Are they good? Until then, coming up next, I'll tell you some stories, some stories about this invisible force of gravity and how to Harness it so that my guest at 815, Vince Perillo, will explain to us how he uses gravity to put gutters on a roof. But in the world of golf, the ancient Romans, in my world as a surgeon using gravity in surgery for arthroscopy, we'll get into it coming up next on the Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN.